Hi, it's John Paul, Triple H Car Doctor, and welcome back to the Car Doctor program. Hey, we've seen over the past weeks, months, and years even, crashes are going up on the road, pedestrian fatalities going up. In, pa- in fact, over the past couple weeks, I did two interviews about uh, crash rates, fatal crashes actually going up, as well as pedestrian fatalities. I guess there was a couple of pedestrians killed out in the western part of Massachusetts in the last few weeks. Well, there is some what seems to be pretty simple technology that might help alleviate this problem. And uh, we had the opportunity to chat with Matthew Henderson. He is the public information officer and spokesperson for Mary Lucen Design and Marketing. And my question to Matthew is, uh, what is this new technology and how is it going to help prevent crashes? Right. So, you know, the uh, automobile industry is changing quite a bit and there's more autonomous cars and cars are becoming quieter and everything's changing about it, but horns haven't changed at all in forever. So the idea is that we can improve horns, maybe we can improve traffic safety. And this just adds a visual component to the horn of any vehicle. So give us a little bit of detail. What do you what do you mean by that? I you know, I, as you said, horns have been around since uh, probably carts were pulled by horses. You know, maybe there were bells back then, but they were still just a signaling device. Um, what kind of technology do you folks have? Right. So it just takes whenever the uh, basically whenever the car horn is operated, uh, exterior lights also flash. So right now, if if a uh, car horn is operated in heavy traffic, you don't really know which car did it. You know, you don't know which car is needing attention for some sort of traffic emergency. Um, so this flashes the external lights at the same time. That way you know which car is responsible for the sound, you know which car to give your attention to and to uh, to make adjustments. And, you know, so many people are kind of walking with earbuds in their ears. They're either listening, you know, either having a phone conversation, uh, you know, it could be a virtual meeting. It could be almost anything. And the idea that they might not hear it, but might be able to see it, uh, might uh, be something that really gets people's attention. Now, what kind? What kind of lighting flashes? Is it? Is it the turn signal lights? Is it the headlights? Mm-hmm. What goes? What goes on with this? So this technology can work with any type of vehicle, from cars to trucks, semi trucks, even like boats and planes. Um, and it can work with any any type of horn, any type of exterior lights. Um, obviously, we would typically use the the front facing lights. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to use you wouldn't want the the brake lights to flash, right. for example. Um, and but any type of exterior lights can work. So even on like a train, you know, the front of the train, any any of those lights can flash. You could install new lights for this technology, or you could use the existing lights. And like you said, more, people are more distracted than ever, so it it's really important to get people's attention. And we feel like, and especially when there's a lot of vehicles around, uh, a single beep of the of the car horn is just not enough. And I guess kind of that makes sense because you think about emergency vehicles, you know, police cars, they have sirens and lights. And the lights are there to draw the attention to the other vehicles on the road, pedestrians on the roadway and so forth. So um, similar type of idea of that. Um, has there been any kind of, hurdles that you needed to jump through to try to incorporate 
what amounts to, I guess, flashing lights in conjunction with the horn? Is there is there any? Um, I I know in in some cases, you know, you a typical car can't have flashing lights like a police car, for instance. So, right. uh, was there anything you needed to do to try to get through that hurdle if there was one? No, I mean the the lights don't flash as intensely as uh, as a, a emergency vehicles would, and there's no siren, of course. But um, you know, the technology for this is pretty much already built into most cars. Um, all cars already have horns. They already have lights. They just need a way to, to get them to work together. And really in modern vehicles, even the most of the, the software is already in these vehicles. We're really just talking about reprogramming the software that's already in a vehicle to do what it has the capabilities to do. It's just never been put into place before. So right now our horns and our lights already go through computer systems within our, within our cars. We just need to get that computer system to work a little better because right now, if you try to honk your horn and flash your, your high beams or your, or your headlights at the same time, you know, you're, that's not safe because you're taking both hands off the wheel and it's, it's just more cumbersome. So this just automates the process. So every time you, every time you operate the horn, your, whatever lights are, are set up to flash are going to flash. Well, I'm not that coordinator, first off, so I don't think I could right. beat my horn and flash my lights at the same time. Um, you you brought up a good point. I, I guess when I lock my car, when I press the lock button, the horn beeps and my lights flash. Um, exactly. So this isn't so much a mechanical adaptation to the vehicle. It's a, it's a software adaptation. Is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, if you were trying to retrofit an older vehicle or an older fleet of trucks to have this this capability, you might have to retrofit it with a, a, a different type of switch or a relay. But on the newer vehicles, it's almost always going to be a change in the software programming of the of the vehicle's computer. So it's a really simple upgrade to the horn and light system, and it's really affordable. Yeah, well, speaking of affordable, and it, it, it's something that can be done on, like you said, most every modern vehicle of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, how how does is this a DIY project? Is this something you would have to go to a specific vendor to have done? Do you need a special type of tool to program it, or is that all part of the system? It's so we have a, a utility patent on on the concept, and we have a working prototype. So we're working with um, partnering with automobile manufacturers and trucking manufacturers to implement this with uh, new vehicles that are coming off the factory floor. And it's also a possibility of working with sort of aftermarket uh, parts dealers to, um, or parts manufacturers to come up with a retrofit solution for older vehicles. It, it sounds, I mean, for somebody who's concerned about safety, they just bought a car, they don't have, you know, they maybe just want to try to make their car more visible. The idea that they could um, go back to their vehicle dealer or, mm -hmm maybe even an independent repair shop and say, I want to have this technology put in my car. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea that you're not really altering the car, which I think is so important for a lot of people have concerns about, well, what if I do this and it voids the warranty or, you know, mm -hmm. it changes the way the vehicle operates and where this is just essentially software that changes the operation of the vehicle and doesn't change the way the car is going to perform. Seems like it seems like a, a pretty simple and elegant solution. Yeah. So we call this sound beam, sound beam alert system, and it's really a methodology or a way of 
of operating the horns and lights together. And it's, it's just a, something that we're helping to implement and we're sort of advocating that the, the industry adopts and we're helping, you know, our job is really just to make this technology available to them and help them uh, get it put into vehicles. And now that you have your utility patent in place and you're starting to talk with people, how, how are the conversations going? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going really well. We've, um, we're, you know, we're in a pre-production stage, so right. you can't go out and buy this yet. But, um, you know, we've, we're talking to uh, trucking fleets and vehicle manufacturers and, um, and even like parts manufacturers, because it's really the part, you know, most um, automotive manufacturers don't make their own parts. They actually go through, right. through uh, you know, third party. So we're talking to these people. The interest seems really good so far. Um, it, it's just such an easy uh, upgrade to the lighting system and the, the horn system that it just seems like a no-brainer. It, re it really does. And, um, you know, as you're progressing through this, what, do you have do you have some timelines in place? Do you think, you know, do you think in a year you'll be someplace where we'll start to see this technology in some new vehicles? Yeah, so uh, the, the patent process is complicated. Right. You know, right now uh, it's a... It's a pending utility patent, so you know we we're, we're allowed to go forward and start partnering with with people in the industry. Um, but it's yeah, it's getting a a innovation into the market can be very time consuming, and there's there's a lot of steps involved. It it really is, but it doesn't. To me, this sounds. I mean, we look at all kinds of ways to try to prevent crashes on the road, whether they're you know automatic emergency braking that we're starting to see today, where the car sort of takes over and stops automatically, hopefully, uh, for another vehicle, a pedestrian or bike rider or something like that. But the idea that you can, in a crowded roadway situation or in an area with limited visibility, sort of a, you know, kind of darkish road where maybe you see somebody starting to cross the road and you hit your horn and all of a sudden your headlights flash or your daytime running lights flash or something flashes to get the attention attention of that person walking or biking or you know any other form of transportation seems to make seems to make a whole lot of sense so um, yeah, it, this, yeah this was um it's yes yeah, it's really simple to implement it's not a super complicated you know upgrade right. yeah. the, the sound the sound beam system so it's, i don't think it would have to go through as much red tape as say like a new uh, airbag system would you know this is this is pretty simple if the, if the horn goes off then the, the exterior lights flash right. that's it it's, i don't think there's a lot of uh you know governmental regulation stuff we're gonna have to go through but i think what you mentioned that that idea of a pedestrian that was really one of the first uh reasons why we came up with this idea somebody was going along the side of the road there was some cars going different ways and there was some sort of traffic disturbance where there was a, there was a dangerous situation going on. And one of the, one of the drivers laid on the horn and, but you couldn't really tell which car it was. So you didn't know which yeah. way to look, yeah. but one of the cars flashed their lights at the same time. And so we thought, well, if you can get those two things together, then you can get, you can know which car needed the attention faster so you can react faster because like you say, there's so many people on their, on their earbuds while they're walking around while they're jogging. Um, we also talk about how there's uh, a lot of more people these days with hearing loss. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's so many people on the road you know, who are either on the side of the road or driving or walking along railroad tracks who can't hear very well just naturally. And so when a 
car horn is used or a train horn is used, that's not very useful to them if they can't hear it. But if they, if you could integrate a system where the lights flash in addition to the horn going off, then you can adapt for people who can hear and people who can see uh, as, as well. So we're trying to protect people with hearing loss as well. It, it makes it makes a lot of sense, and and I can I can see this on you know even smaller vehicles, you know scooters and so forth, mm -hmm. where you know somebody's zipping along on a scooter and they're trying to catch somebody's attention and. You know, scooters have to have the same types of headlights and taillights as, as any motor vehicle. But the idea that maybe that headlight is going to flash will kind of give somebody a little bit more idea of where all that's coming from. If people want to kind of keep up with this sound beam technology and as it's being developed, is there a, a website or someplace that people can kind of keep up with and see what's going on and see how the see how the system's coming along? Yeah, so Soundbeam Alert System has a, a website. It's called www.soundbeam.tech. So uh, soundbeam.tech is the is the website. People kind of kind of learn and go along. Is there um, is there any investment opportunities for people as well? Yeah, so there there are. Um, it's very likely that this would go through a licensing deal where um, you know either manufacturers are going to license this this concept or a third party could just license it to be sort of the broker and, and then they could go around and, and uh, deal with all the manufacturers. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it is going to be something that people want to get involved in. Um, we looked at uh, the way uh, the autonomous cars now have to make some sound, right? You know, like they're it's sort of dangerous to have the cars walk driving around silently because uh because of the, the new autonomous cars or the electric cars are getting so yeah. quiet, uh, you know that helps protect people who are uh, who who, who uh, can't see. You know, they need some sort of audible sound for the cars. This is the same same way, but it's sort of in reverse. Uh, we want cars to be more visible for people who can't hear. And there's a lot more people on the roadways and the railways who can't hear very well. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, as as we age, our you know both our hearing and our vision diminishes i mean we need three times as much light to see when we're 60 as we do when we're 20 mm -hmm. and our hearing doesn't necessarily improve as we get any older either so when you combine the two together that that you're that you have both that audible and visible alert really seems to make a lot of sense and to have that technology in a car to me seems to make some sense so uh, yeah um, we're trying yeah. to come up with we're trying to come up with simple ideas that are easy to implement. We don't want to reinvent the whole industry. We just want to make some upgrades that help people be safer. Sounds like sounds like a good place to end to me. Uh, like you said, some simple upgrades to make to make the roadway safer, to make uh, you know everybody has to share the road with everything else on the on the road. So you're sharing the road with pedestrians, you're sharing the road with bike riders, you're sharing the road with big trucks. Um, we're all trying to share the road and to be able to add uh, what is what seems to me an elegant safety feature to a vehicle without having to re-engineer the whole car makes a whole lot of sense so uh, i wish you the best of luck on it thanks john paul thanks thank you for having me on again that was pretty interesting technology from the sound beam folks and um, you know a question that came up this week from a reader was uh i went to AAA and I'm interested in buying a battery, and um, 
your batteries are lead acid batteries and I have the choice of going to a big box store and buying an AGM battery which is a glass mac battery sometimes called a gel battery and uh, they're almost the same price why should I buy the AAA battery well first off we've found through testing that it's best to replace flood flooded lead acid batteries which are typical batteries with the same type of battery yeah you can have more cranking power which our batteries typically do or you can have uh, maybe even better utilization of space but usually it's a matter of cold cranking amperage is what we measure and also reserve capacity so our tests have shown that if you have a car with a flooded lead acid battery conventional battery you're better off replacing it with another flooded flooded lead acid battery if your car has an agm battery so a absorbed glass mat battery and oddly my personal car does and i have no idea why it's not a car that i would have expected to see that in uh, but then you you really need to replace it with a the same type of agm battery so agm with agm flooded lead acid conventional batteries with conventional batteries usually that's the best thing to do now if you have a vehicle that sits a lot maybe it's a uh, performance car that gets driven once a month maybe it's a, uh, a an rv maybe even that doesn't get used very often well sometimes the uh, glass mat batteries can provide uh, better performance because they don't tend to self-discharge as much as regular batteries do and the good thing about a glass mat battery is there's no real liquid inside of them so you can literally mount them upside down if you wanted to and you see some uh, hot rods and things like that with batteries mounted in really odd positions and they use them for that reason but a regular conventional battery uh, on some type of charger some battery maintainer usually is all it takes to keep that battery in the best tip-top shape it can be in so interesting question from a reader and hopefully I gave them the right advice that stay with that flooded lead acid battery that conventional battery and use an AGM where there's an AGM and only upgrade to an AGM if you think you need it for whatever reason and in a lot of cases I don't, I'm not sure where this person was shopping they said they could buy it for the same price as a AAA battery my experience has been usually these batteries are two and three times more expensive than the uh, regular conventional flooded flood flooded and lead acid battery easy for you to say maybe not for me sometimes but um, coming up next is a co-worker of mine Alex Slatke he works out of our Connecticut office he's the director of government affairs and uh, AAA has come out with a new uh, web product for your driving costs and your driving costs is uh, something that we've done for years and years and years gives you an idea how much it costs to uh, look at your car on a per mile basis or an annual basis how much that car is going to cost you but this one's really unique and uh, Alec is here to tell us all about it so Alec can you tell us all about this new website about your driving costs yeah it's at a uh, aaa.com slash auto repair slash driving costs and it really has pretty good functionality uh, you can break it down by which state you're in how many miles you drive also your city highway driving ratio, which of course is going to make a pretty, uh, pretty decent difference in your fuel economy. And then you put in 
the the specific vehicle you have the year make model uh the trim and if you know it and it gives you all the costs that that you need to know to compare different vehicles yeah uh, which i think is really helpful right now yeah in years past you know a lot of people looked at gas prices and whatever the gas prices are whether they were two dollars a gallon or 450 a gallon uh, people thought about gas prices as being the expensive part of owning a car, but it's really, when it comes to new cars, it's really depreciation and insurance that are some of the big factors, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly right now, we we can we can say that fuel is is absolutely on everyone's minds, and it is a big part of the cost of owning a vehicle. I think that's in part why so many people are looking at electric vehicles rather than gas-powered vehicles, even though uh, their sticker price might be a little more expensive to start, but yeah, if you're if you're buying a new car, you know we've all heard the axiom that as soon as you drive it off the lot, it, it loses value. And you know while that's true, the the real issue is it's losing value over the course of the three, four, five years of ownership, and that is a hundred percent the biggest cost uh, of owning a vehicle. And then you know insurance obviously is is important, and of course the more expensive the vehicle you get, the more expensive your insurance is is likely going to be in probably the higher you want it to be um, to cover the cost of the, of the car should anything to happen to it. So um, definitely always a lot of expenses that people may not consider when they first enter the dealership. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea that you can kind of compare cars to cars and you brought up electric cars and electric cars are obviously on a lot of people's minds right now, whether it's they're, thinking about them or maybe they're really thinking about maybe buying one i know a lot of people are thinking about buying an electric car although they're not quite there yet they're not quite ready to do it but you can do some comparisons and this morning i just read a headline that said typically electric cars are about 23 percent cheaper to own than a gasoline car and what's nice is you can take something like you know look at a hyundai kona gasoline car and then look at its electric equivalent and this way you're really comparing kind of apples to apples although not the actual cost of the vehicle but the actual size and functionality of the vehicle and you can kind of look at it and go oh this one's going to cost me 21 cents a mile for gas and this one's going to cost me the equivalent of you know half of that for electricity yeah and we see from the the aggregate numbers that when we're looking at the total cost of ownership over five years electric cars do seem to come out ahead compared to the average of all U.S. vehicles. That's not really a super useful comparison point if you're comparing, you know, a Ford F-150 uh, to, you know, a Nissan Leaf. So we want to make sure we're comparing apples to apples. And a lot of electric vehicles, of course, are on the smaller side. I think that's changing. Uh, we have, you know, F-150 Lightnings and Rivian obviously is very focused on trucks, but if you are actually in the market for, for buying a vehicle, you don't really care about these big average numbers of all the vehicles on the road. You want to know about the five or six vehicles that you're looking at, and this tool allows you to to use those uh, those comparisons. Yeah, and it really does. And what's kind of nice about it too, one of the one of the sort of failures, and failure is probably not the right word, is that we were never able to really look at used cars and somebody would call up and say, Hey, I have a, um, a program at work where I'm not really going to get paid a whole lot of money to go do this, but they're going to pay me X amount per mile. 
do you have any idea how much it costs to operate my own vehicle? And now we can go back three, four, five years and look at that car that might be a 2017 or 2018 and figure out the actual cost. Um, and like you pointed out, relative to where you live and the type of driving you do. So if you're if you're going to be delivering for Uber Eats, for instance, and you and it's all it's going to be all in residential streets, you can get an idea what it's really going to cost you to drive your vehicle. And does it make sense to do that, you know, gig economy type delivery service? Yeah, I mean, I I think we've, you know, we've seen obviously pretty robust used car market over the last couple of years. I think we've we've all heard stories of people that bought, you know, a Honda Accord or something like that. Uh, and then they get a call from the dealership saying, we want to, we want to buy it back it, it, more than you originally paid for it just because supply was so tight. Um, but, and especially with that, you know, really good seller's market for used vehicles, it's important for buyers to know exactly what they're getting into. Uh, of course, depreciation is going to be less of a factor when you're buying a used car, but you know, your maintenance costs might be going up and, uh, obviously the older cars might not have as good of a fuel economy as the newer cars. So, um, there's, there's really great functionality to be able to look back to those older models and see exactly what you're getting. Yeah, it, it really does. And this is where I think the power of the internet really helps. So whether you're looking at our programs where you can look at how much it's going to cost to operate your vehicle. Then maybe you go over to uh, safercar.gov or IIHS and look at crash testing. And then you can say, hey, I'm I, that car looks like it does well in crash testing. It looks like it's in my budget. And then I can maybe go back to AAA's car buying service and look at where, let's see if I can go buy one now. Let's see if it's there. And then uh, you know, not to make it too much of a AAA commercial, but also look at what AAA financing has to offer. And maybe there's some great deals there as well. Yeah, I, I don't want to continue the, the commercial aspect necessarily. But one thing that I really do like about this is, is that you can select the trim too, which is, you know, when you're looking on manufacturers' websites, you, you can get that information too, but they're always going to just give you the starting price, of course. Uh, that's what they're advertising. But we know that additional features can send that price up, you know, sometimes five figures. Mm -hmm. So you really want to make sure that you know specifically what you're looking at because it can really make a big difference in the costs. Yeah, and, and that big difference in the cost is going to be a difference in depreciation. And mm -hmm. as we pointed out, depreciation is probably the largest factor of all of these costs of owning a vehicle. And if you... You know, my car, when I purchased it four years ago now, um, was the base model trim. And uh, like you pointed out, I could have added, well, not five figures, but I could have added about six or seven, maybe even $8,000 to the price of my vehicle if I went and stepped up to that higher trim level. And that over time is going to depreciate differently than my base model car does. So I think it really gives people the ability to look at that. And again, the ability to look at new and used. And even in the new car category, which is kind of interesting, they don't list just 2022 and 2021. They go back a couple of years because there are, oddly enough, there are some uh, uh, some older new cars that are on the lot that just didn't sell for whatever reason. And it's nice that you can look at those as 
brand new cars rather than used cars, which I think adds another little uh, uh, little kind of piece to this puzzle that kind of makes it all interesting. Yeah, I I definitely I'm I'm a used vehicle man myself, John. Uh, and I'm I'm the type of person that says I'm I'm driving this baby into the ground. So, you know, I think for me when I look at this tool, I say the maintenance is super important. Um, I want to know, you know, are these vehicles costing a lot for me to to go to the mechanic every you know few months and fix something up, or are they a little bit more reliable? Um, obviously, you know, you could be more reliable and then once a year you have a big repair and you still got to save up. And that's something that we found in previous researches that, you know, unfortunately a lot of car owners don't necessarily have the, the money and savings that they, they need for, uh, unexpected maintenance bill or some repair work that needs to happen. But, um, I, I like the fact that you can really tailor the cost to to what you think makes sense for you and and you you brought up something which seems simple in one hand but difficult to do in the other and that's set aside a budget and if you kind of look at this and have an idea what your maintenance budget is going to be you can set aside a little bit of money every month and and maybe even add to it a little bit more and kind of put that emergency fund money away in case you come up with an unexpected major repair you know things like tires and brakes and suspension components are going to wear out but it's unexpected to need like a major transmission issue resolved, but it could possibly come up over the life of the car. And like you said, you kind of drive it till the wheels come off. And that may be something that you look at over the course of the vehicle. And if you're going to keep it that long, you put that little bit of money away. And if all of a sudden you come up with a $3,000 repair, you have the money, you're ready to go. It's not, it's not as much of a hardship as it is if you kind of, you know, just, assuming that the car is going to last forever and never break down. So again, really, really handy tool for all kinds of reasons, just to figure out what your driving costs are, but to do those car to car comparisons and the used car comparisons. But I really like the idea that now you can really sit down and say, you know, I want to compare this and not the greatest comparison, but I want to compare this Ford Mustang to this Ford Mustang Mach E and Okay, they have they share a similar name. They're completely different vehicles, but I can at least show what the operating costs are, or I can come close. I can look at a Ford Edge, which is pretty close to a Mach E in size, size and price wise, and I know what are the real operating costs going to be. And this makes it easy for you. This makes this makes it sensible, and you can look at you know what you are even to the point where you know do a little calculation and figure out you know how how much you pay per kilowatt of electricity something that i never really considered i would ever think of but it is important if you're thinking about buying an electric car absolutely i know you know we know prices of of all energy types have gone up these days obviously fuel is certainly what's on everyone's mind and that you know that does make it tough as we were saying to for a lot of folks to do that budgeting to set aside that extra money every month uh, hopefully this tool will let you be realistic about what you need and what you can afford um, and and make sure that you're not neglecting those additional costs like like fuel if you you know if you exhaust your savings to get a car you still gotta you still gotta pay pay the piper every month at the gas pump every every couple yeah. of days maybe um so you, know, you got to make sure you know exactly what you're getting into and likewise, uh, with electric vehicles, it, it's good to reach out to your utility company even and 
uh, see what sort of options they have. A lot of different utility companies in our region are offering time of use rates where you can charge off peak and it's much cheaper than charging during peak hours during the day or early evening. Um, a few utility companies are offering incentives for buying electric chargers or installing those chargers. So uh, it, it definitely is important to know exactly what you're getting into, particularly with an electric vehicle, because there is a little bit more uh, upfront planning that you need to do, if, especially if you own a single family home. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right, you know, looking, looking around for people who are considering and, you know, don't just, you know, say, well, oh, my town doesn't have this or my state doesn't have this. Keep looking around. It's surprising what you can find for some other possibilities of ways to save money. And like you pointed out, whether it's the, you know, installation of a home charger, um, an upgrade to an electrical system, maybe you find out that you don't have to put the biggest, fanciest charger in. Uh, you can, maybe if you're somebody who only drives 30, 40 miles a day, that 110 volt outlet that you plug your hedge trimmer into or something is plenty to be able to charge up your electric car if you're not driving long distances. So there, there's a there's a lot for people to consider in this. And one more time, uh, the website for people to be able to go, go to it and find it. It's AAA.com slash auto repair slash driving tests. Alec, as always, thank you and uh, have a great rest of the day. I appreciate it, John. Take care. Well, thanks again, Alec. And uh, interesting information. And it's great to be able to do those side-by-side -side comparisons and see what that maybe electric car is versus a gas car, maybe different trim levels of cars. All great information, so go check it out. And speaking of some information, uh, almost 100% confirmed right now, but it looks like I'm going to be back on the radio uh, thanks to the good folks down at WATD in Marshfield. Uh, so WATD is the radio station. You can you can find them 95.9 on the FM dial uh, if you're living in the Massachusetts area. They also simulcast on 1460 out of Brockton on the AM dial. And uh, looking forward to doing that. It looks like right now it's going to be set for Sunday morning from 11 to 12, so 11 till noontime on Sunday morning. Uh, we're working out some little details yet, but still putting the little pieces together, but it looks looks like we're going to go ahead and do it. So uh, that's the news, so you'll be able to listen to the Car Doctor program, call in. I miss the callers. The podcast is great, but I actually miss the callers. The callers make it a lot of fun. So until next time, Make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, slow down or move over. It saves lives. Take care. Bye-bye.